It's the two megastars summer mashup. The awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for zero dollars so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence with the PH. Indeed, he does. Hey, welcome to another uh, installment of Fence Radio. Uh, tonight, we're going to go ahead and talk about the Super Bowl that's coming up, obviously, on Sunday. And the Super Bowl commercial is already leaked, which is ruining it for me, and I don't know, maybe some of you as well. We'll go ahead and talk about the ongoing Jonathan Martin uh, interview, the fallout from that. We had a little bit of, a, I guess you'd say, a rebuttal from Richie Incognito's camp today, and it was an interesting one, to say the least, although not really anything I think we weren't expecting. And we'll go ahead and talk about some of the hires we've made this week. Uh, aside from Dennis Hickey, we also brought on a new, well, for the time, off, assistant offensive line coach. We'll see how long that lasts. Maybe he can go ahead and replace the guy in front of him as he's uh, considerably more qualified than that guy. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Chris, producer, uh, James. Guys, how are we doing tonight? I'm excellent. Well, how are you? You know what? I'm doing fine. So tonight we're going to go ahead and, and roll through uh, really a couple of set topics, but the majority of what we'll discuss tonight will be brought in by you guys. As you all know, you can go ahead and call in any time during the show. Number is 347-326-9461. Go ahead and give us a call. James will get you set up. We'll bring you on air. We'll talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. You want to complain about the new hires? Go for it. You want to talk about free agency and combine? We are down for that as well. We always like to talk about uh, pending uh, personnel acquisitions, stuff that could happen. We're we're big on potential here. That's how we, we live day to day. So I guess first off, I, I guess we'll sidestep the, the Super Bowl news and go to the fact that uh so Jonathan Martin earlier this this week it, it comes out that there's gonna be an interview between him and it's gonna be uh conducted by Tony Dungy, which caught my interest immediately. Uh, so some of it came out on Tuesday. The, the the entire reel of it came out yesterday, and it was pretty much what I expected it to be. A lot of uh, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of comments uh, pertaining to the fact that he felt trapped and whatnot. And we talked about this last night on Insider TV. I don't know if we we need to really break this down again, but I feel like this guy continues to come off as just a, a complete ass. I don't know if he's uh, incredibly devious or, or just completely oblivious to the fact that w- what he's doing is really a cardinal sin in sports. And that's not the fact that he's outing someone who was uh, reportedly bullying him. It's the fact that he took the 
the usual banter that goes between guys and and really uh, turn the guy in for it. Now, I'm not saying what, what these guys are talking about was right. I, a lot of the comments, a lot of texts have come out within the last 48 hours. Uh, some of them very interesting. I had a chance to read these at work uh, earlier today, and I was blown away by some of them. I mean, it's it's kid stuff. It sounds like how how two guys talk to each other when they're in high school. So I wasn't too impressed with that, but I'm not surprised by it. Uh, but it's something where it, now it comes out in incognito. I mean, he still kind of looks like an idiot. Martin looks even worse. Uh, Joe Philbin, I've read accounts. Some people think that he looks bad as a result of the uh, the interview coming out this week. And other people say they're really not surprised. I mean, he was portrayed as someone who just was not uh, consulted on the matter until, of course, after the fact. Uh, guys, at this point, I mean, we're waiting for that Wells report. Stephen Ross says he knows what's going what's gonna to come out of it. Uh, is this a non-story at this point, or is it really just something where we're, we're feeding this almost malicious ego that Jonathan Martin clearly has? I think the fans and the media are feeding it at this point. Um, I mean, you see tw- Twitter just explode with it every time his name is mentioned, and I I don't even know why. I don't even I don't even want to di- discuss it anymore. I don't know if he has any supporters. I mean, first when the when the news came out uh, last last fall, you had a lot of people who side with him, and I mean, because bullying is a very sensitive issue in this com- in in this country. It's something that that comes up. And, I mean, you want to do everything you can to protect your children, protect your friends, uh, anyone who's close to you. So, I mean, that, that really touched the nerves of a lot of people. And then it comes out that, I mean, what was going on with him is the same stuff that really goes on between Incognito and Mike Pouncey, or, in, you know, Incognito and some of his other teammates. And it's so so what made it different. And then people started to back off. Let me interject something there. That's not just typical interaction between football players. This is typical interaction between guys, okay? Not necessarily the language that was used, but I guarantee you if you polled a million guys in, in, in this country, they would tell you stories of things that they said with good friends that if they did not understand the context or the friendship would be considered, that others would consider bullying or harassment or anything else like that. I mean, we've all we've all been a part of that. I mean, we've been with friends, and it's just it's a guy thing. I mean, I hate to say it that way. Now, the language part, the the word that was used was kind of that's an issue, but it's not. Yeah, there's no need for that. This is not a locker room issue. This is just a a male thing. I mean, I can't I can't think of another way other way to explain it. It's just that you know guys in fraternities talk this way college roommates talk this way, just people talk this way. It's how guys get at each other a lot of times. I mean, not all of them, but many of them do. So, I mean, you know, and most of us were sports fans. We've probably played on sports teams. You know, we're, this is just stuff we're familiar with. I mean, guys going into a locker room or, or hanging out and just saying crude things to one another, you know, when that happened to me, I didn't sit there and be like, you know, and I've had, you know, I've had issues or times in my life where I had friends that I thought, you know, they were a little overbearing and they took things a little too far. But, you know, even then, it's just typical things. I mean, I didn't sit there and think, man, these guys are bullying me. I just thought, 
you know, whatever it is. But but still, it's just I don't know to to to, to read the stuff that's come out from this. I, the use of the term bullying, I think, was way too premature. And if that's what came out of the Martin camp, then that should have been discarded immediately. I mean, once more information came out, it, it's just terrible. Because that's kind of like a, a key word that people just kind of latched on to. And, you know, I remember right after it happened, all this stuff was, you know, Jonathan Martin was the victim, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. You know, and now it looks like that. It's kind of going the other way around. It's like we said last night. It's actually, I think, more harmful to people who are actually getting bullied. I read some of the tweets, or not no, the tweets, the messages that were going on between these guys. One of them uh, essentially consisted of Incognito saying he was going to go over to Jonathan Martin's home with sandpaper uh, condoms. I did not know they made those, and uh, essentially rape him. That's something where that is offensive in nature. Rape is not not anything to joke about in this country. Really, when you read the messages, it just sounds like two idiots talking to each other, in my opinion. Two two meathead uh, guys. uh, And you touched upon it perfectly when you said guys in fraternities. That's really the banter that I thought of. It, it sounds like a bunch of fraternity brothers talking to each other. Is it offensive? Yes. Is it really how you should talk to each other? Probably not. But I, I mean, this I've heard people talk like that just in passing, like it's not any big deal. I mean, I had See, friends in college who talked to each other. Is it offensive or crude or inappropriate? Yes. Is it atypical? No. And that's the problem. I think Martin's trying to say this is not, you know, like what it was, what it was on the side yesterday. This is not normal behavior. Yes, it is, dude. I mean, you hear this stuff everywhere. Every one of us has heard this stuff. I mean, whether it's appropriate or not is not necessarily a, a, a key here. Um, and unless you get into the whole workplace thing, if if this is just two guys that you know one of them thought they were being friendly with each other, and that's just how they talk to one another. Say that is not normal, in my opinion, is incorrect. I mean, I think that is typical normal meathead kind of behavior. It is. And someone on the site just mentioned, it was Envy Fintan, I'll give props, uh, mentioned that it's immature, but what was going on was not bullying. And I think that's an excellent point. When all this stuff first came out, we didn't know any of the details. It really sounded, I mean, Jonathan Martin was made out to, to be the, the Dolphins own Daniel LaRusso type or something, and he's just getting the crap beaten out of him all the time. He can't go anywhere and feel safe, that kind of stuff. And we really fell for him. He, I mean, even though he's a 320-pound, 6'5 individual who should be able to stand up for himself, you'd think. Uh, I mean, we we tried to sit there and, tr- and understand what he was going through, and it, it comes out that it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't a situation. I mean, the rest of the Dolphins' offensive line, they're not the Cobra Kai. This isn't something where John Lamar's getting pushed around all the time and he's getting he's getting completely ostracized from the rest of the team. It wasn't anything like that. I mean, it's just what it comes down to. I mean, there's other stuff that's coming out about incognito that's embarrassing. And to be honest with you, uh, it's a good thing that, in my opinion, neither guy will be back. I know Stephen Ross alluded to that and then tried to go ahead and 
retract what he said, but I mean, the even the uh, the m- most uh, naive PR person would know better than to bring those guys back. So it's just it it's a mess. It's the media will continue to feed on it as they have. I can't remember any other time we've we've had uh, our own tick, our own ticker spot on ESPN where it just says Dolphins. We had that with this this Martin Incognito thing. Go go figure. So. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I agree with what James said. I think the fans and the media are driving the story more than than anything about the actual story. Um, and, and it's one of those things because they hit a they hit a kind of a key nerve there. There's there's still going to be some backlash, and, and and either either way the story goes. Let's say the Welsh report comes out, and it turns out that he finds that there was no uh, there was no cultural bullying, there was no bullying. Uh, anything like that goes on, there's still going to be a segment of people who think that Jonathan Martin got the raw end of the deal. Um, and considering the nature of some of the words that were used, I think you know they will play. Some will play into the, the racism part of it. Um, that's just how people are. But I mean, I think it was just something that was completely blown up out of proportion, and it, it, it was, you know, kind of the way the media is today. You know, it was in the middle of the football season, not a great deal of stories going on and suddenly something weird happens and then boom there's your you know something to talk about for the next two weeks so and I, I think I find it I find two things about it interesting number one this this incident virtually coincided with his move from left tackle to right tackle and the other thing that I found very strange about it was if if you remember from Hard Knocks, I think it was like the second episode, they showed um, they were talking about you know some of the rookies, and they showed Martin and Randy Starks getting a fight on the field. Now, I mean, I don't know how he would be out off the football field, but I just find it very weird that a guy would be considered kind of timid or afraid to speak up would be the same kind of guy that would try to punch out Randy Starks. I, 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 mean, I, 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 I just thought that I just thought that was kind of backwards. Just like what well, here's this guy that people are painting as, you know, he's a quiet guy. He doesn't want to speak out. And yet here we see him in practice, teammate, and throwing punches at him. I mean that. I don't know. Those those two things just didn't groove with me. Well, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna groove with anyone. Actually, I think this is something where. Yeah, I can't call it a non-story because we're seeing interviews with Tony Dungy coming out right now. So, I mean, it clearly, it, it interests someone. It doesn't interest me, though, because those guys aren't going to be playing for the team anymore. And to be honest with you, I think they've soiled the Dolphins' name enough. Uh, if you guys want to weigh in on any of this stuff, again, 347-326-9461. We'll be around until eh, about 11.15-ish Eastern time. We might push it. Uh, we will have Kevin on later in the show. He's decided to grace us with his presence for tonight. I'm so excited about that. In the meantime, what we're going to go ahead and talk about is, uh, so Dennis Hickey comes on last Sunday. And uh, in, in kind of a, a week where people seem to want to complain about that hire for really no good reason except for the fact that we interviewed quite a few individuals and we're, uh, turned down by quite a few of the individuals before the Hickey hire for one reason or another. Uh, he comes on, 
he goes ahead and he gives his uh, address, essentially, to the media on Tuesday. Things quiet down. Then it, it kind of comes up that he's he's hired John Benton, who's going to, as of right now, is the assistant offensive line coach for us. Now, people might not be familiar with that guy's name, but the work he did with the offensive line in Houston, incredibly noteworthy. Those were, you know, I would say borderline excellent offensive lines, just really the epitome of what a zone-blocking scheme, a zone-blocking offensive line looks like. And that guy pulled it off. And now he's in Miami, which pretty much guarantees our offensive line isn't going to suck next year, which is great news because it was terrible last year. Of course, you got to get the personnel in there too, but uh, the foundation, in my, in my opinion, is now there because we get Benton. Uh, and, I mean, really the sky's the limit in terms of what we can do with the offensive line now. And hopefully with his input, we're, we'll stop with this thing where we want to bring on these plotting guys you know, maybe we tell Dallas Thomas to lose a little bit of weight or something. I mean, he doesn't need to be nearly as bulky if he's going to go ahead and be playing guard, and I hope that does happen. Uh, a lot of people don't want to talk about it right now, but the Hickey uh, regime, in my opinion, off to a really a fantastic start with this Benton hire. A lot of people aren't giving it really the credit that it deserves, but it's outstanding. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, that that's what you want to see from your general manager, first of all, is um, is that you want to see him, you know, start to not just put his stamp on the team, but, but address areas that, um, you know, address areas that, that need to be addressed as soon as possible. And, you know, he's addressed what he could at this point. And, you know, I think a lot of fans for just about any team kind of get this mentality of like, you know, our team's the best. We should get whatever we want. And sometimes that doesn't always happen. But when you see a guy come in, the first thing he does is he, he, he takes a guy who excelled at what we want to do and brings him here. I mean, that what what else do you really want from a general manager? I mean, to me, that like, like you said, it's off to a good start. So even though things didn't fall into place the way fans had kind of hoped for, it looks like that maybe things, you know, maybe are working out. What do I love most about this hire, aside from the fact that it, what it, what it'll mean for us down the road with putting this this zone blocking team together, is the fact that when Hickey was hired, a lot of people said he's used to how Tampa Bay does things. He's not going to be able to think in terms of what we want to do on offense and defense. Well, what did he do? I mean, you you see what the offensive linemen that he's had in Tampa, those guys are enormous. You know, guys like you know Carl Nix and Donald Penn. Uh, Jeremy Trueblood was an enormous right tackle there for a while. I think Zuta is their their center right now. I mean, they have some large individuals on that line. So he comes to Miami, and everyone says, well, now, you know, how is he going to go ahead and understand the zone black team? Well, here's an idea. He goes ahead and goes and gets John Benton and puts him in there. That'll that'll help you understand the zone black team because he puts a proven mind in there. So it shows, goes to show that even though he might be not might not have the experience with dealing with it firsthand, he knows how to reach out to the right people and make sure that the job gets taken care of. And, and that's part of the general manager's job. I, I think there's a lot of disconnect with, or a lot of people think there's a big disconnect between what the general manager does and what the, the head coach does. And to some degree, I mean, it, the general manager just brings in the talent and the coach is supposed to coach him up. But 
you know, I mean, the general manager just can't go out and just get anyone and everyone that he wants to get. You know, the coach has to have some input. Now, you know, some will take that spin and say, oh, so the coach gets to pick all his players. He has all the say. So, no. But the coach says, these are the types of players that I want. This is what I need to make my system work. And then the general manager goes out and gets those guys or attempts to get those guys. And that's what you're seeing here. You know, I, I'm sure that he talked with Philbin and Philbin said, this is kind of what I want to do. And he went out and said, all right, this is what the coach wants to do. This is what's going to make my regime successful. Who do I need to do to – who do I need to find to to, to build that? Well, let's find the best, one of the best zone-blocking offensive line coaches in, in the league, and he brings him in. So you can already kind of see, you know, like what you were saying, there, there's that link between the coaching staff and the, the general manager about, you know, they're sharing the same vision of what they want to see on the team, and it's coming to fruition. So, yeah, I mean, it's – this idea that the general manager just comes in and just brings in people, whoever he wants to bring in, I think is ludicrous. I mean, any GM that does that is going to be a failure because, you know, you don't bring guys like John Jerry in if you're trying to run the zone blocking system. So, I mean, why would I don't get a sense of ego either with this guy, with Ricky. Like when he sits there and talks, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's some uh, some sort of closet ego case, but when when he sits there and talks, it sounds like he he's going to sit there. He's going to reach out to the right people. He's going to collaborate. He wants to do whatever it takes to get things done, even if that means being instrumental. Maybe you're, he's not going to get the credit that uh, he should get on certain hires, certain evaluations, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. I get the the idea that this guy just wants to make it happen. So I'm I'm a fan, and I can tell you with with Benton coming in, and now we and we already have Laser. Uh, I mean, personnel is the next step. We got to sit there. I imagine we'll probably do something in free agency to to shore up the offensive line a bit. As to whether that'll be the left tackle spot, I don't know. Uh, I'm leaning toward probably the draft for that, but you never know. Once the personnel's in there, and I imagine we're probably going to go after a running back too. <laughs> guarantees that the running game is going to be better next season. Even if you have green personnel in there, you have guys that aren't as experienced. I have more faith in Benton and Laser and Hickey getting this done than I have in uh, any Dolphins regime really close to 20 years now, with the exception of maybe Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen, especially with Tannehill, and that's I mean that's that's a big key, and and so I, I I'm you know I think the offense is going to open up a little bit more this year. I mean I mean I'm hoping that we don't see the same kind of you know monotony monotony that we saw with, with Mike Sherman. I mean that offense was predictable. It was oh just bad. So hopefully Laser comes in and brings in um, something kind of fresh. I think he the main thing is I hope that he uses. Personnel to the best of their ability. I mean, we had Reggie Bush, who was a dynamic receiver as a running back, and we didn't use him in that regard. I mean, that's not Jeff Ireland's fault. Uh, you know, that's the coach's fault. And so I think Blazer is going to be able to, you know, get the most out of guys. I mean, granted, there's only so much you're going to get from Daniel Thomas, but you know, and guys like that. But I think he's, I think you're going to see Lamar Miller improve. I think you'll see the offensive line improve, and more importantly, I think you'll see Ryan Tannehill improve. Uh, and if you think about it, I mean, this was an 8-8 eight eight team. Um, we were competitive in every game, not really counting the last two because those were 
I, I don't really know what happened there, but I mean, there's really no game that we were just completely out of at any point. And you know, that, so you know, just a couple more wins and we're in the playoffs. So I think I think you know, Laser can can bring some of that if he can get the most out of what we've got and what we're going to add to the team. Uh, I, I think we'll be a playoff team next year. I do too. Let's go to the phones for our first caller. We got Dalton Tam for life. You have to go ahead and weigh in on the GM. Nashville, Tennessee, you're on the radio. Hey, how you guys doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I guess a little bit of uh, of my question has to do with how do you guys feel like our new GM is going to handle it? Will he go out, sign a bunch of free agents? Will he try and build through the draft? Um is he probably going to try and lure over a few of those players from Tampa Bay, mainly like Jordan Rogers, who's on the practice squad, um, ex-players like Richard Blunt, Aqib Tlaib. Didn't did he sign a contract extension, or is he a free agent this year? That's a question I actually don't know. I haven't really thought much about Aqib Tlaib. That's a that's an excellent question. Uh, while we're while we're going on figuring that out, one thing I can say is, if uh, if it's true that Hickey was, I believe it's coming out now that he was in charge of free agency and the draft in terms of evaluating and and really running up the Bucks board with Mark Dominic. We know he isn't uh, we, he isn't afraid of free agency, uh, and if the the right guy is there, uh, it'll happen. I don't know if the right guy is out there this year. We're hearing about Eugene Monroe. Uh, Baltimore's an interesting situation in that you'd think that any other year they'd keep Eugene Monroe, but they've got some cap issues. They're going to have to they're going to have to cut some weight a little bit. Uh, Brandon Albert's the name that comes up. He's going to be expensive. I think that I saw a number come up today that people someone thinks that he's going to get around fifty million. So, yikes! I mean, that's something where. Uh, I mean, there can be work done in free agency, and there are some some quality guys out there. Roger Staffold's one. Uh, I mean, his injury history bothers me a little bit, but uh, when healthy, he's, he looked really good in St. Louis. So, I mean, that's all to say that we know that Hickey isn't afraid of free agency. How much work he'll do, uh, he'll do there this year, I obviously remains to be seen. We got a little bit, uh, about a month and a half before we'll we'll find out about that. But he, he's not going to shy away from it. One thing that uh, about the free agency that that will kind of be confusing uh, if you know if you're not paying attention to you know depends on who you're reading is that the Dolphins are going to have they can they can actually probably come close to depending on if they make some cuts or trades or whatever they can probably come close to between 35 and 40 million in cap space which sounds great however. Um, much of that, in my opinion, will be spent re-signing guys that are already here. Um, probably the, you know, we already talked about the defensive tackles. Uh, one of those guys will be re-signed. Brett Grimes is going to be re-signed. Um, should be re-signed. You've got Chris Clemens, um, a couple other people that are escaping uh, um, uh, my head right now. But there are, um, there, there, there's about four or five guys out there that are going to require a fairly large 
chunk of change to re-sign. And so when that happens, our free agency dollars, you know, start to dry up a little bit. So I don't think you're going to see – I don't think we're going to go into free agency with this big, you know, we have $40 million, we're going to go out and blow it all on Brandon Albert kind of stuff. I think you're going to actually see us go in with about closer to $20 million in cap space, and we're going to be more bargain shoppers this year. Um unless they can renegotiate some contracts or something like that. But I think you're not going to see this huge bid for a this year. Um, I think we will re-sign the players that we have. And, and, and personally, I think that should be where the money is spent. I mean, we've got guys like Starks and Soli and Grimes and guys that that are worth paying money to, um, you know, re-sign those guys. Don't, I, I don't understand the logic in – no, not re-signing a guy like Grimes because you want to draft a cornerback. Well, the cornerback you may draft may be better than Grimes ever will be, but at the same time, he may be a big bust. You know, we saw how much Jamar Taylor got on the field this year. So imagine if we had expected him to kind of fill that role that Grimes did. You know, we'd have been in trouble. So, you know, I think that that's where most of our most of our cap space is going to go is to sign and re-sign guys that are already here. Uh, and then, you know, we're not going to go big in the free agency this year. I think we have the seventh, seventh most, most cap space, if I'm not mistaken, of, of any team in the league, which is a nice place to be. And I prefer not to spend all that in free agency. But, I mean, put the right guys there, I, I say make it happen. I, I saw something earlier in the thread where people were commenting on, uh, do we have faith in Daniel Thomas to – I think the, the comment was to, to tote the rock, and no, I do not. I don't think many people around here have, have faith in Daniel Thomas to do that. I think that it needs to be set up where we need a, a power back with with good good speed, a guy who can – he doesn't have to be a home run hitter anytime he gets free, but a guy who who keeps defenses honest, not a, not somebody who who's a master getting tripped up in the backfield and occasionally they juke some guy out of their shorts and they have like a pretty 20-yard gain and you sit there and wonder, well, why can't he do that more often? I, I like Lamar Miller. A lot of people are down on Lamar Miller, but they have to understand that he's the type of running back who's always going to be at the mercy of his offensive line. This is not Barry Sanders. This is not even Reggie Bush. He doesn't have much to any wiggle whatsoever. He's not a guy who, who makes guys miss. He's a one-cut dude. The thing is, he you know, you open the lanes for him. He hits that hole, and I mean, if he gets free, I mean, he's gonna he he's capable of busting a big run, if not taking to taking it to the house. I mean, you know, he has that home run speed. We saw it at the University of Miami. I mean, the guy is absolutely electric when he gets in the open field, but he doesn't have a lot of wiggle. He's not a guy who's gonna sit there and just I mean, cut you with shreds in the open field. You're not gonna see that. That's not gonna happen. So they, what they need to do is somewhere, if it's in free agency with Ben Tate, or if it's uh, sometime on day, you know, day two, day three of the draft, whatever, uh, find a, a bigger complementary back a guy who can handle the majority of uh, carries and free up Lamar Miller to kind of get back to what he's doing. And I think that we were talking about the benefit that Benton is going to have on this team. I don't know if anyone's going to benefit more from it right now, currently on the team, than Lamar Miller. Okay. Um, speaking of University of Miami, uh, they have a tackle coming out this year. Um, basically, he's 
rated to go anywhere between the first and the fourth round. Um, I forget his name right now off the top of my head, but I was looking over a list of, like, the draft prospects and the rankings and everything with guard tackles like Cyril Richardson slated to go in the third, fourth round, Um, Dozer, things like that. I I had an idea for a possible trade, and I wanted to get your opinion if you would jump on this. Um, I mentioned it in the blog. It was a actually trading out of the first round and going to San Francisco who feel like they're only one or two pieces away and offering them our first round uh, Patterson and um, our Thigpen or Thigpen or however you pronounce that last name for both their seconds a third round pick and a conditional 2015 pick would you jump on it or would you just keep our picks this year and hope for the best I mean the offensive line class this year is sick you can get players in like the third fourth round Um, not only can we get them in the third fourth round but a lot of the guys we're going to have interest in I reckon aren't going to be the type of players that are going to go high for the most part, except with the exception of a guy like Zach Martin. I, and if we're talking about a guard, I think the best fit would be a David Yankee. I don't think you're going to see any more lumbering guards. Like a, I mean, Cyril Richardson didn't look very good last week. And he's still lumbering. I mean, he's a, he's a power guard type. I don't think he works well in, in the zone blocking scheme. I don't think he's a guy who, who can really get it done consistently on the move. Whereas I think that, you look at at a guy like a David Yankee, uh, some of these other guards who are coming out. I think they they are ideal fits in the zone blocking scheme. But a lot of those guys um, outside of Martin Yankee, those guys are going to be available on day two and day three. I think because they're going to be a little bit smaller. I mean, we're looking for as mu- as much agility as we are guys with a you know strong lower base. I mean, clearly we don't want guys who. <coughs> who operate on popsicle sticks for legs or anything. But we're not looking for guys who, who tip the scales at 320, 330 pounds. I mean, 305 pounds at left tackle is acceptable in the zone blocking scheme. That's fine. I mean, that's near insanity in just about any other scheme. You want your, your left tackle at at least 315, but 305, 310, whatever. That works for us. Right guard, you'd like to see maybe a little more, 310, 315 maybe. That's fine. I can live with that, but a lot of those guys I think are going to be available a little bit later on because they don't uh, they don't really uh, fit that that man scheme. And I understand a lot of the league is starting to move towards the zone blocking scheme, but it's still something where I think man blocking for the time right now rules the day. <laughs> but do you pull? Do you try to pull that trade knowing that we need to replace like four people in the draft? I mean, four people on the offensive line, a defensive tackle. A tight end, running back, a punt returner. If we trade Thigpen, um, do you make that trade out of the first? Me personally, if we go in the first round, I like this new defensive tackle everybody seems to be talking about. Um, he's a little bit small. He's a little bit small at two eighty five. Um, yeah, Aaron Aaron Donald. Yeah. The guy out of Pitt. Yeah, he's 
he's a spark plug, man. And he's the kind of guy where, I mean, he, he clearly fits as a three type. I mean, like you said, he only comes in at about 285. So he's not someone you expect to take on multiple blocks and right. uh, and serve as an ideal run stuffer, though he is good against, surprisingly good against the run for someone his size. Uh, I don't know, honestly, if he tests well at the combine, it seems ridiculous because you'd, you'd like to think you have enough tape right now to have an idea of where a guy should go. But he could have a boom factor where he could land in the first round. And, I mean, stranger things have happened. I brought up the idea a couple of weeks ago that you know, he could go as high as Chicago. Chicago needs defensive tackles. I mean, and that's plural. It's not one. They need both. They need to rebuild much of the offensive line or defensive line. And, uh, I mean, he fits that. I mean, he is a penetrating defensive tackle. He's incredibly quick. His problem is that, uh, I th- if you can beat his first move, uh, he's not very good at resetting. I know he struggles, and he can kind of get washed out if you get him there. But, I mean, he's a good player, but I don't know. As of right now, I think that not that we can do better, but I think we can find something that suits us a little better at 19. I think in terms of if looking at that, looking at that trade, if, um, if it was offered, uh, just on the face of it, you know, I, I, you'd be tempted to take that to gain more pick. Um, the 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 main thing there is who you know you've got to see who's available first, and it depends on. We really don't know right now what. Number one, we don't know how free agency is played out. I mean, if we go off, if we go real heavy and sign a bunch of offensive linemen, we're not really going to need offensive linemen, uh, or you know, or think about that much in the in the, in the draft. So. It depends there. Also, it depends, like I said, on who's available. I mean, we don't know what Hickey's plan is in, in terms of his vision, um, what who he who he kind of has on on the board. I mean, we kind of, you know, we, we've seen enough Jeff Island over the years. We kind of knew the players that he would kind of pick. I mean, he kind of had that. You just kind of had that feeling about it. We don't know about Hickey, so I mean, we don't know who he's targeting. We don't know who he's a big fan of, and if a guy he really loves is there at 19, um, you know, he, he may not, he, even if that trade was offered, he may he may opt to take the player he wants instead of adding more picks. And as we said last night on Finsider TV, I mean, you've seen the Bucks over the past few years. They, they tend not to, uh, they tend to be fairly aggressive on draft day, either moving down, moving back, going whatever. So, I mean, I think right now, if he if he stays true to form to, in that regard, we're going to be moving somewhere out of the 19th pick. And Keith mentioned last night, you know, uh, Jake Matthews falling out of the top 10. If he falls out of the top 10, do not be surprised if you see another, you know, move up to get a guy like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things I want to mention. Uh, I've seen this name coming up uh, a few times in the thread, and. I have to say that I've been thinking about this lately. I think of of any free agent, the guy who Hickey seems like he'd be he'd be the type of general manager to pursue this player is John Asamoah, who uh, is becoming kind of a, a hot name. Um, I was a big fan. Of, I, I believe he played uh, college football at uh, Illinois, and uh, so that would be that would be something to to definitely consider there. Um, who was that? Another, pardon? Who was that? I didn't catch the name. 
Asamoah, and really you were the first guy on the site I saw really mentioning Asamoah, and then on Twitter, our friend Oscar, who I think is in the thread too, Oscar's also, I think, a, a big uh, supporter of bringing Asamoah aboard. I'm all for it, because that's one less spot we need to address in the draft, and that means we can we can go ahead and we can we can look at some of these players. Uh, I mean, there there is some major talent to be had at the skill positions, Um even if Hickey strikes gold from day one, you're not you're not going to address all of the offensive line needs in the draft. I don't care how many picks you have. Because simply it's the law of averages. You're going to miss draft picks. You know, we saw Dallas Thomas and he didn't see the field but like two plays all season. Uh, you know, for whatever reason that may be. So to rely strictly on, well, we're just going to draft offensive linemen and just plug them in there, that may or may not work. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think you're definitely going to see at least two free agent offensive linemen. It, they may not be big names. It may be guys like Asimov, maybe some bargain bin kind of guys. But we're going to see some guys that can start and be effective mm-hmm. starters get signed in free agency. And then, then if we want to go out and draft three or four offensive linemen or whatever, you know, that can happen then. But I, I, I think it's you can't rely strictly on just draft picks to fill those needs because, I mean, you might hit a couple and you'll probably miss a couple. So, you know, you don't want to you don't want to hit hit on the guards and miss on the tackles either. So I mean, you gotta you know you gotta you gotta balance it out. So, um, yeah, I would. I, I would you know, a lot of fans are kind of expecting the Dolphins to go offensive line heavy, and I've even said that myself, and, and I still do, but I don't think that's going to fill all of the needs. I think we're definitely we going still to got that one guy. We still got that one guy that we converted from tight end to um, waiting yeah. and we try his bet at right tackle. But um, I mean, looking at it right now, I mean, we've got we've got at least two guys that are currently. Uh, under contract that can start, and that's Nate Garner and Mike Townsend. So I mean, is Nate Garner an ideal starter? Maybe not, but he can. He can. And he's not uh, going to be quick, an utter liability. Quick question, and then I'll let y'all go. Um, one thing you brought up, like with the whole guard not starting and everything else, uh, something that's been bugging me, and I've been wondering this, is if any of the Jeff Ireland slash Philbin friction could have had anything to do with any of these guys not starting because of the fact. Now, I mean, I understand um, one guy was injured and all this other stuff, but, I mean, Philbin still does pick who plays, you know, even if he doesn't pick the players. Do you think that could have had anything to do with why we maybe didn't see Deion Jordan um, doing this and maybe their philosophies got mixed and, he was just well, like as okay. As, as far as Dion Jordan goes, I think I think for the most part he was used sparingly, and they knew he was going to be used sparingly to start with. And I think the plan was for him to. And I think the plan was for him to be worked in to the defense kind of slowly, and uh, didn't get more playing time, even possibly starting. But then Olivier Vernon just showed up and played better. So I think it's what happened there. With guys like Taylor and Davis, I mean, Davis was working his way up the depth chart, and then he got hurt in preseason. That set him back. Jamar Taylor was hurt the whole time. 
So some of these guys are hurt, but and that kind of affected them. But I can kind of see, I think there was a report out that Jeff Ireland was kind of, he said something in the press box and the, the Jets game or the Bills game about the coaching. That was an issue. And I'm sure if you're the guy who's, you know, it's kind of like if you're the, what the Parcel said, you know, about buying the groceries. If you're the guy buying the groceries, you expect to cook these, you know, to at least use some of the ingredients that you bought. And so yeah. that might have been a source of subscription. Well, people forget also that the same way we used Deion Jordan last year was the same way we used Cameron Wake when we had um, Jason Taylor and J- Joey Porter. And I think that turned out okay. You know? Well, the difference there that you will, what you will see on the site and from fans is the difference there was Cameron Wake was a, was a free agent acquisition from Canada. Basically mm-hmm. nobody. Deion Jordan was the third overall pick. So, therefore, he has these expectations that he needs to have a certain kind of season or whatever. He's supposed to play a certain way because he was a high pick. Yeah. Which, in my opinion, those are all just arbitrary, but that's the kind of stuff you'll see. Like, well, that that would be the difference. In my opinion, there's not much of one, but that's what you'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, I'm going to let you all get some more phone calls in. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thank you again for calling in. Uh, we always love to hear from you, and hopefully we will uh, again next week. Uh, probably. <laughs> All right, excellent. Later. All right, take care. Later. Oh, man. All right. So uh, I saw that for a second Kevin was, was here. I don't know where he went. It was as if for a moment there the prodigal son had returned and now he's gone. Uh, and for the uh, time being, uh, take uh, another call. Uh, hello, what's going on? Up, oh, what's up, guys? How much? How you doing? Doing all right. Tired, like uh, James just said. But hey, you know we all tired. But we're here for the Dolphins, you know. Oh, it's Lewis. Yeah. You're right. It's always like you're, you're trying to keep your, your identity a secret from us. I don't understand. We're friends at this point. You can go ahead and tell us who you are. Nah, it's just, I, it's, I'm used to the Internet secrecy kind of thing. I, I'm i over it. Enough to know. All right. Okay, you want to make it creepy. That's fine, too. What's going on? <laughs> all right, all right. Jeez, man. All right. Uh, well, I... I was going to talk about Hickey and the Martin and all that crap, but then we started talking about my favorite topic, which is free agency. Yeah, there we go. So I I mentioned this a couple of times, and it never really got addressed. The um, the new assistant O-line coach, and with any luck, he'll be the head O-line coach with, for very long. I agree. We, what, would, what do you think about uh, picking up a name that was – floating around last season, Eric Winston, who was part of the be- one of the best zone-blocking schemes in football for a few years. I think the only uh, the only downside to Eric Winston is I'd like to get some long-term stability at right tackle. I'm not sure if he could provide that for us. I know that he hasn't been in the league that long. But you bring up a great point, the fact that, I mean, Benton has gotten plenty out of Winston – uh, the irony in Winston coming aboard once we bring on a, a new general manager, 
fascinates me to, to no end. So I don't have a problem with it. I would like to get younger, more stable at the position, but if it's something where they think that it doesn't need to be done this year and they can bring in a proven veteran and get more of a uh, an immediate uh, presence over on the right side of the line, I say do it. A specific, specifically, a proven veteran who knows what he's doing in a zone in a zone scheme, because Claybo had to reteach himself. Winston's been doing it for years; he knows what he's doing. Well, Claybo's not a zone block. I mean, Claybo at one point weighed what three hundred thirty pounds. I mean, that that's quite large for the zone blocking scheme. And I mean, like when he was in Atlanta, that guy was a nasty mauler. But I mean, that was a power Hart- team, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't look at uh, Atlanta and, and think. I mean, like they had a, I mean, they had a mobile offensive line, but I mean, like they they had guys who could slug it out. I mean, the the right side of that line with uh, Clavo and Harvey Dahl. I mean, those guys were those guys were animals. And I mean, in that offensive line was very good for a while there. I mean, with the exception of Sam Baker, uh, whom uh, I I don't think uh, most people were a fan of, especially in Atlanta. But, it, I mean, it's something where uh, I don't have a problem with it. Game back to Winston. Definitely and, to be fair to, and to be fair to Claybo, he did have to, re, he, he to kind of relearn the home blocking system, but he did pick it up. After he was benched, um, his, his play improved a great deal. Um, we all kind of remember the Buffalo game and, and that disaster where he just got beat twice back-to-back. Um, and uh, back-to-back drives and kind of Messed that up, but he he improved after that, so he did well. Um, I don't know that they would re-sign him, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know, at first Claybo was kind of like um, Mark Colombo 2.0, and then he turned out to be a pretty pretty solid right tackle. So I, I think we should, you know, fans should acknowledge that and give him a little credit. Yeah, I agree with yeah. him. Yeah, he did okay after a while, but I wouldn't. I would. It's not enough for me to think. Well, let's bring him back. No, not that much. I mean, like, you guys right bring him I mean, back. Like, pardon? Would you guys bring him back? Because I wouldn't. Uh, I prefer not to. Yeah, uh, I would. Just, I, I wouldn't unless it was the last, last kind of last resort deal. I mean, I agree with Keith. I think we need some some stability on the offensive line more than just stop gaps. Um. And the only way we should re-sign stop gaps is if we can address the positions we need to, need to address. So, in my opinion, if we're re-signing Tyson Claybo, that's because we've exhausted all other uh, all other means to acquire a right tackle. And, and again, it's nothing against Claybo. It's just that you know he's he's not the guy that you really want in there. You know, preferably, I would like to see us pick up two tackles in the draft. And let that be our long-term stability. Just have two guys that can, you know, lock it down for for a while. But that may or may not happen. But yeah, I'm you know, my dream long term here. My dream would be to to get Zach Martin in the first round, and then maybe in the third or fourth round get Cameron Fleming out of uh, Stanford as our right tackle. A lot of pe- a lot of people are going to look at Stanford as a four-letter word now with the Martin thing. But I mean, that's that's the exception, not the rule. Stanford typically produces outstanding offensive linemen. Uh, but I really I get the feeling that with uh, with this draft, especially with what I've seen Hickey say, or actually heard Hickey say the past few days, uh, if if the right defensive tackle falls, I think we're going to take him. 
And, I mean, there are some outstanding guys in this draft. We talked about this a little bit last night. But I think there are, like, if Timmy Jernigan falls or even a Lewis Nix who could, because he has, he has the meniscus injury he's still recovering from, I think that they could be the guy. But you're also seeing now there's a, a lot of people expecting a guy like a Taylor Luan to fall. Taylor Luan would sit in the zone blocking scheme. I mean, he, he's mobile enough to do it. Uh, he, um, I want to say he weighs around like around 310, 315. So even if we put him in there and start him at right tackle at first, that's fine too. But I think that uh, offensive tackle in the first round is not a lock. And there are some guys in there I really like, but they're by no means would I put money on it right now. No way. Okay, so that brings up the next question I had for you. Since Hickey said that he likes picking BPA, who would be best player available at 19, do you think? Well, the guys I mentioned, uh, I'll get Duke in on this because we, we have some... Uh, well, you know uh, who I'm going to say, so just go ahead and say it. Well, I mean, you'll, he'll say Austin Safiri and Jenkins. He's a fan. Uh, Oscar on the site and I were talking today. Oscar's a big fan of a guy who's not getting a lot of press right now. Mainly because this is a very, very uh, uh, plentiful, uh, very impressive tight end class, and that's Troy Nicholas out of Notre Dame. And the thing with Troy Nicholas is that he would have been a first-rounder next year, in my opinion. He came out early. I don't think Brian Kelly at Notre Dame wanted him to leave. I know that Notre Dame fans didn't want him to leave. One of my one of my friends is a diehard Notre Dame fan, and when uh, when Nicholas declared, I thought my friend was going to start crying. I'm not even kidding. Like, I mean, he was just sitting there talking about how good this guy was. So he's also someone to consider. I mean, we've talked about this tight end class being three deep. I think it probably runs four right now. With them, Safari and Jenkins are the guys who can do it all. They're, they're outstanding seam threats. They're very good at playing the inline role. I mean, they block uh, like the Dickens, if you will, whereas Lamaro and Ebron are more of the your prototypical guys, the the dudes who uh, blocking isn't as much of a of a concern with them because I mean they're so good uh, in the open field and uh, working the middle, working the seam. Uh, getting back to your question about best player available, I think Ebron would be in there. Uh, I think Sterling Jenkins will move up. I think the defensive tackles will be in there. Marquise Lee could be in there. I think that. Uh, there's a chance he makes it to the Jets, and I don't know what they're going to do. I think they'd pick between Evans and Lee if they make it. I don't think Mike Evans is going to make it that far. Uh, maybe one of the offensive tackles. I expect one of those guys to fall. I don't I don't know uh, which guy will at this point, but just off the top of my head, and then probably Justin Gilbert. I think that there's a chance he might make it that far, too, unless he tests really well, and then he's probably likely to go between Detroit, Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, that range. And then one guy you mentioned that we mentioned on uh, Insider TV last night was uh, C.J. Mosley. Yes, C.J. Mosley. Well, the the trick with C.J. Mosley is that uh, the the team everyone expects to take him is the Giants. And if the Giants don't take him, then it's going to be kind of strange because linebacker, not a huge need for teams uh, through the teens and early 20s. I mean, you could see, I mean, Pittsburgh rarely passes on the the big-time linebacker. So, I mean, Pittsburgh could take him at 15. I think that, yeah, he's another guy where uh, if he gets past the Giants, there's a decent chance he can make it all the way to us. And he's another guy I don't see Hickey 
saying no to. And that's a good problem to have. If you're looking at, like, a Timmy Jernigan and uh, C.J. Mosley coming down the pipe, and, I mean, you have to make a, a choice between one of those guys, I mean, that's a, that's a good problem to have, especially at number 19. That's about any yeah. value at that spot. And I know this would kind of be like overkill in a way, but it's entirely possible that there will be a couple of pass rushers there. And while that is not necessarily a need, you know, that's the best player available they might take. Uh, if that's the case, then I hope they don't do best player available because another pass rusher at this point would really seem like a waste of a first pick. I'm trying to think of the pass rushers that we, we could see. Well, at that a, spot. a defensive tackle, yes, but a defensive end, no. <clears throat> well, no, one, thing no. I want to, one thing I want to say about CJ Mosley, I was just reading a report on that says he compares to Levante David. So. Well, we, we, we I mean, Dennis, yeah. like he's clearly uh, familiar with Levante David. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, Levante David made it to the second round because he was undersized. I think he came in at about 220 when he came out of Nebraska. Uh, uh, Mosley's right around the 230 point, but I mean, I mean, the same idea. I mean, total package. I mean, uh, gets after the run uh, like crazy. Great in coverage. Uh, not easily fooled. Uh, real cerebral type player too. He's had some some weird injuries. I think he dislocated his wrist. I think he's had like a separated shoulder. I mean, I don't think there's been like a knee uh, anything that could that would really hold him back. But uh, I just saw something else on here, and I want to go ahead and address that. Uh, somebody's saying that Milan's going to fall to the second round. Uh, I would be interested to see that. That would be nice. I do expect Antonio Richardson to make the second round now, but not because he's a second-round talent, but more so because you're seeing guys like Zach Martin come up now. Morgan Moses is getting some press. When I did that first mock in December, those guys weren't, weren't a first-round thought for most. So Antonio Richardson made plenty of sense there. So um, in terms of pass rushers, we were talking last night about Khalil Mack. And I think that Khalil Mack's probably going to rise the most of any pass rusher in this class. The guy I think could take maybe a little bit of a dip, believe it or not, would be Anthony Barr out of UCLA, which is interesting because Barr this year, everyone was talking about how he was better than Deion Jordan, uh, more complete players on and so forth. I don't think that Anthony Barr has any of Deion Jordan's explosiveness, in my opinion. I've watched a lot of Barr tape. He's impressive. He's long. Uh, he's he's the kind of guy where it seems like when he gets his mitts on a player, they go down. Uh, I mean, he's clearly strong. A lot of upside with that guy. But you watch Deion Jordan's tape, I mean, there's explosiveness there. I mean, he's got that, that rare length. Uh, you'd like to see a little bit more. Uh, in his lower base in terms of strength. I mean, he's still got that kind of string being looked to him. Uh, but I think Anthony Barr could take a little bit of a dip. I don't think he'll make it to number 19. I think there are a couple of – I think like a team like Pittsburgh would snap that guy up immediately. But I think he'll take a little bit of a dip, and I think Max would probably be, will have the biggest rise. I think he could go as high as – crap. I don't know. I think he could go as high as two. I think that if, if St. Louis – can't move out of that pick and they just want to go for the best player available, adding that guy who's a legitimate outside linebacker, so you're not moving anyone over, you're not pimping Robert Quinn or Chris Long out of their defensive end spots, that's a nightmare. And that's not a team I'd want to play if Khalil Mack is there. Yeah, and, and one thing about that, um, 
while a defensive end or a pass rusher may be the best player available, if that is the case, there are a number of teams behind us that would be willing to trade up for a guy like that. So oh, yeah. Anthony Barr somehow made it, which, I mean, Rex Ryan is still with the Jets, so if if Anthony Barr made it to, to the 18th pick, um, I, I would have trouble believing he would get past that. I just think that, you know, Ryan would be salivating to, to get a guy like that. But if he did make it to 19, there are a number of teams behind us who would, um, you know, with the Colts, um, of course they don't have a first-round pick, so never mind. Um, thank you, Trent Richardson. And uh, but there are a number of teams out there that behind us that, hey, would, would like to use a, could use a pass rusher. And um, so we, that might be a trade-down scenario uh, where we could pick up some extra uh, mid-round picks or something. So there's just so much that, that could happen. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to kind of say at this point. But, I mean, it, I'm, a, I'm kind of in agreement with Keith. I think that if a defensive tackle is the best, one of those guys falls to 19 and we don't want to move, that they very easily could become one of the uh, – could very easily become the pick. You, yeah, you pretty much have to take him. I want to take a second to mention that Kevin is lurking. Kevin, are you creeping? I am. I am, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a great job out of here. I, I suspect <laughs> it as much. Uh, happy to have you on the show. Uh, we're, we're talking about how uninterested we are in taking Mike Evans at number 19. That's good. That's good. I, mean, I think I, I, I thought you'd appreciate that. One thing I want to bring up yeah. that Oscar just mentioned is Barr. He says Barr looks like a weak side linebacker to him. I agree. Uh, these people who are talking about forcing Barr into becoming a defensive end, I think that would be a mistake. I realize he probably has room on his frame to get up to 260, 265 range. Uh, like I said, not much explosion at 245. I'm not sure what the extra 20 pounds in bulk is going to do for his wheels. Uh so yeah, I would I would pass on that. I think that that's why I mentioned Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh with their three four, uh, y- y- they've struggled to really have that pop off the edge that they had when uh, they were running uh, James Harrison and um, and uh, uh, his, his name is Lamar. Whitley. Well, there we go. Uh, it took me a second. Sorry, I had a, my my brain started to fade for a second. And and Woodley was hurt at the end of the year, so I think that they're going to have to sort of re up at the um out at the elephant rusher spot. And I think Barr would serve that. So I don't see and the Jets are a great option too. I I mean the fact that Duke brought up, I think that's real smart. I don't think he gets past eighteen. I think it's funny they were talking about a guy who was expected to go you know no lower than what third, fourth, fifth somewhere around there. So, kind of food for thought. Anyway, Kevin, what do you want to talk about? We're talking to Lewis right now about the draft. Don't talk. I don't know. I don't don't know. Um, I'm trying to catch up with what you guys already talked about. I know you talked a lot of draft. I know you talked some free agency. So, I don't want to recover the stuff, same stuff you guys already talked about an hour into the show. But you're Um, a new perspective. I do, but I'm also – I don't want to bore everybody by recovering the same stuff. Uh, for the draft, I, I, I know the question was, if we do go pure best player available, 
who would we see? And I, I think, Keith, you are right on that, that probably at that point you're looking at a tight end. Um, there, there are some other players in there. I mean, maybe you're looking at somebody in the secondary, not not necessarily a cornerback, but maybe a safety to try to offset um, – Chris Clemens is a free agent this year because obviously they didn't they didn't re-sign Chris Clemens last year to a long-term deal because they see him as a one-year stopgap. We're gonna we're still trying to replace him. So I think that there's there are a lot of options if you just go pure best player available. I, I do think you get into trouble though because, like you guys said, a lot of this could end up being defensive linemen are the best player available. And if we have, if we feel that they re-sign Solii and we're going to start Odrick there, we don't really need a starting defensive tackle. Obviously, we don't need a defensive end because we're pretty much set at defensive end for, I think, the next century with the way that we have them stacked up by each other right now. So it, there, there has to be a little bit of give and take on the best player available. Um, obviously, if if somebody like Evans does fall, and I know, Keith, you're laughing because I'm all about Evans. If somebody like him does fall, obviously you're snapping him up. I don't see him getting there. If he falls maybe into the teens, late teens, just before the Dolphins, maybe they're trying to make a trade up to grab somebody like him. But I don't know. A lot's going to change, obviously, between now and the draft. The draft isn't until May this year, so there's tons of time to talk about this. We still have the scouting combine. You still have free agency, where a lot of the questions are going to get answered. How do the Dolphins shore up their offensive line? Do they go get Michael Orr and Brandon Albert and now suddenly tackles off the off the draft needs? I, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I it's it's a very good question. Um, could they even go? I mean, we talked this last year at or for the draft as we were getting ready for it. Could the Dolphins go guard in the first round? And everybody was, I mean, it's a need, but everybody was worried that you're taking a guard way too early. So now at 19, could the Dolphins be looking at guard, taking somebody like Martin? Um, could they be looking for a wide receiver, maybe not getting Evans, but taking um, – what's the guy from FSU? Kellen Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin. I mean, you have options there. I don't know. Hickey, Hickey running the draft obviously throws a curveball into all this because it's harder to pick what he's going to do. Everybody says, and he has said, that he ran the draft and free agency for the Buccaneers. So I I guess as the assistant GM, he basically was the GM, and I think he was actually the director of pro players or player, uh, whatever his title actually was. I've written so many titles of potential GM candidates, I can't keep track of which one's which. But the way it sounds is he was essentially the GM and – Mark? Is that Mark Dominic's name? Yeah, Mark Dominic. Yep. Mark, okay. He was basically the final say that, yes, do it, but that Hickey ran everything. And so if they do come in in the opposite roles now, which seems to be the 
prevailing theory. Um, how, how Hickey drafts, he said it's all BPA. He'll probably stick to that, but I, I don't know. It's it's a wild card that we don't know yet. Um, well, I one think thing, one thing you mentioned. Draft, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off. One thing you mentioned I really want to uh, highlight because I totally agree with it, and I think that it's something we're we're not really coming around to yet. I think we will. Is the safety position because yeah, Clemens is a guy we're going to have to talk about, and if we don't bring him back, the interesting thing about the safety class is that for the first rounders, it's not one deep anymore; it's two deep. Because before right. we had Clinton Dixon there, uh, now we have Kelvin Pryor, and if you're looking for the ideal guy to replace, uh, you want to upgrade Chris Clemens while still maintaining a player with that skill set. You can't go wrong with the Kelvin Pryor. The guy is a hammer. Uh, it really kind of your modern day enforcer where, I mean, he's not, he's not out there looking to hurt people, but I mean, if you, if you go ahead and troll the middle, you're going to pay for it with a Calvin Pryor meshes well with the Rashad Jones. So that's going to be something to consider too, because I think he's probably going to test well, whereas Clinton Dix is a little bit more of a playmaker kind of in the Rashad Jones mold prior to being excellent compliment. I mean, he, for you, those of you who don't know, prior is the safety at uh, Louisville. He's awesome, and he's a guy where if we take him, uh, fantastic. I mean, we know that Hickey's had interest in uh, Alabama safeties before. I mean, if he, if it actually was how he says, and he was running uh, the majority of Kansas drafts, then, I mean, he drafted Mark Barron. So we know he's into the, the Alabama right. uh, guys who play the point for the for the Tide. So, interesting. I think that, I think that the thing we have to remember – is while we were all disappointed with how Rashad Jones played this year, it was a lot to do with the fact that he was he was used wrong. And exactly. it's unfortunate. He was he was just used wrong. It's that's not his role. His role needs to be the freelance go out there and ball hawk type. And that's just not how he was used. He was used more in coverage this year. And Chris Clemens plays that last man of the defense role so incredibly well. He's not going to be the go out there and come up with 10 interceptions. He's not going to be making the big spectacular plays that are going to be on Sports Center. But not for lack he's of trying. Going, he's, yeah. But he's going to be the type of guy that he he's your last line of defense, which is exactly what you need. He's exactly what you need as the last line of defense, the last guy up there to stop the long ball, stop the massive run, all that kind of stuff. So he, he absolutely 100% serves a purpose. And upgrading him is absolutely an option. And – you should always be trying to. And obviously the Dolphins were thinking that last year when they only signed him to a one-year contract. So I think that he could be, and safety absolutely could be a first-round option. Um, You're looking for the best player available. You're looking for a guy who is going to provide you an immediate starter, assuming that we're not playing the uh, redshirt, not freshman, but redshirt rookie option again. So there's I don't know, the first round is hard to pick, especially because of Hickey, but 
it just depends on exactly what the Dolphins want to do. They have a lot of holes, but the options are all available. And maybe part of the problem is they do have so many holes. They have all these holes to fill, so they could go lots of different ways to try to fill them. And perhaps safety is one of them. Well, I mean, the, the exciting thing is there isn't going to be any shortage of really good players at 19. I mean, this no. this first round is totally stacked players who could do incredible work for us. So we're not gonna we're not gonna miss out on much. I mean, we might miss out on the top offensive tackles. Uh, we might miss out on the top corner if that's even in the interest for Hickey. I don't know. We'll miss out on the top wide receivers. We're obviously not gonna have a chance to draft like a Sammy Watkins. Uh, but I mean, Marquise Lee could could be there. Eric Ebron could be there. Jernigan, we've talked about Knicks. Uh, Mosley is another one. Uh, it's a really exciting thing right now. I mean, there's gonna there's guaranteed to be one of those guys there. I don't think they're all gonna go in the first 18 picks because they're. I mean, it's just loaded with pass rushers. We talked about Mac. Uh, the the quarterbacks, which, I mean, we didn't have that help last year. We didn't have the, the quarterback class kind of stilting up some right. of the players for us, which was frustrating. I mean, with, I mean, E.J. Manuel, I think, was the only guy who went in the first round. That's unbelievable. So uh, that's not going to happen this year. And, I mean, Der- Derek Carr could still move up, and I always want to call him David Carr. I think when I made my yeah. mock draft, I almost called him David Carr. I've so, seen him. I've called David Carr in a couple of places that are analyzing him. Yeah, they're like, David Carr for Fresno State. You're like, oh, boy. Like, which decade are we in here? I just and really want Houston to take him number one overall. I just really do. Everything I'm reading I mean, right now suggests that the odds-on favorite to go number one quarterback-wise would be Blake Bortles. They think that yep, he's got I've the most yeah, they think he's got the most ground to gain between now and May. Whereas, I mean, people will analyze Teddy Bridgewater to death because yep, they said that's, that he's, he's going to come yep. in under six two, I think. And he's the he's the early favorite, which immediately means that he's going to be the most watched guy, the most picked apart, and he ends up not being the number one overall pick because everybody's had all this time. Excuse me to watch. And it's like people are trying to make it out like he's Geno Smith or something, which which right. just totally blows my mind. Like, I was impressed with Bridgewater. Yeah, I get it. Louisville's schedule wasn't that impressive. Um, but I, I he's a franchise guy, in my opinion, and will probably have the most immediate impact of any of the quarterbacks available because I think that he's probably the most pro-ready. But, I mean, if if you're if you're like me and you don't have any interest in the quarterbacks, to say, I don't know why a Dolphins fan would have any interest in the first or second round guys that's here. Uh, you should hope for Derek Carr to have a big combine. And I think he will. I think he's the kind of guy where he's going to test well. I think, I mean, he's got a nice arm. Uh, if you watch Fresno State this season, I mean, those guys get the ball downfield. So I think he's going to test well that way. And I hope he does because that's just another guy who kind of stilts up the talent for us. And I'm all I about it. That, I think that's absolutely a key thing that the Dolphins will suddenly want to see these quarterbacks jump up. And with the number of teams that are going to be looking at quarterbacks, he absolutely could end up in that top tier um, 
maybe not the first, second, third overall pick tier, but I mean he should be he should be in the Minnesota Vikings playbook of things that they could end up doing. He should be on high on their draft board. So I, I agree. I think that you you could absolutely see Carr move up. Um, somebody else to watch that is going to be interesting is um, I can never say his name. The uh, Garoppolo, however you say Jimmy his name. Garoppolo. Yeah. He's going to be somebody to watch simply because people don't know him. So he's going to have the the unknown factor, which people will consider as an option at the position. So he's somebody to watch, I think, that could have a uh, an impact on the draft this year. Um, there are a lot of quarterbacks, and that's exactly what the Dolphins need to see. They need to see a run of quarterbacks early. Now, my question is, at what point do you consider drafting a quarterback this year? Um, I, w- I would do it on day three, obviously. I wouldn't I wouldn't even consider it until then. Because I think that, I mean, you just mentioned Garoppolo. I think that uh, Garoppolo strikes me as the kind of guy where he's going to go a lot higher than people think. You'll, you'll see I think some teams Absolutely. trade back, like, into the second round. or I mean, who knows, man. I mean, weird things have happened. Christian Ponder went number 12 overall. So, uh um, who's got the podcast going on in the background? James, James is James is demanding that they turn it down. <laughs> turn down your radio. It. We're getting echo. Yeah, he's. I love it. The Larry King angle just writes itself. <laughs> oh, turn down your radio. <laughs> I love it, but no, I can. I mean, anything can happen. And the really interesting thing about the draft this year, the way it's laid out is all the quarterback needy teams, unless you consider Tennessee, and I really don't, I I think they'll probably try to work with Jake Locker, but all of the quarterback needy teams are in the top top eight picks. So you mentioned Derek Carr being in Vikings territory. I would agree with that. The interesting thing for me is uh, if Teddy Bridgewater falls, I don't see him getting past Oakland. I think Oakland would be all, all about it. See, I think that Oakland Oakland has so many needs that I think that they will go, you know what, let's figure out exactly what we have in Pryor and McGloin, and then from there they end up looking somewhere else this year. And they give those two one more year to figure it out. My thinking there is because a lot of people, remember when we were talking about coaches we thought were going to be fired, I thought Dennis Allen was going to be safe. And the reason I thought right. Dennis Allen was going to be safe was that part of his case in pleading pleading for his job or uh, stating his case for staying in Oakland as head coach was that he doesn't have a franchise quarterback in there. And even as, even as he works to rebuild the defense, the thing is, is Oakland's offense is not very good. I mean, they've had Darren McFadden in there. I think he's a free agent. Uh, uh, they have some impressive guys uh, in, in terms of skill position, but he doesn't have a franchise quarterback in there. I think that you're talking about a new regime now, and plus you have to keep in mind that uh, uh, the the guys who are running the show in Oakland now haven't drafted their first-round quarterback. I mean, people thought Terrell Pryor was going to be the guy. I'm not buying that. And Terrell Pryor was secondly brought in by Al Davis. 
that's technically Al Davis's guy. So you're, Reggie McKenzie, I think, is going to look for his franchise quarterback, and I think he's gonna he's gonna roll with Teddy Bridgewater, in my opinion. I, that's my pick. I think that Teddy Bridgewater is going to, to Oakland. I think Bortles is probably going to go first or Clowney, depending on because I think Bill O'Brien is going to want to work with his guy, and I think he'll see the the Roethlisberger appeal in Bortles. We talked about Manziel. Manziel feels like he's a lock. To yeah, well, I mean absolutely. Manziel goes to to Cleveland unless Jacksonville poaches him, or maybe Jacksonville takes Bridgewater. If Bridgewater falls to Oakland, I don't think he makes it past there. But I mean, you see, like the the kind of competition. And one thing we're not even mentioning right now is that number two pick is is up for grabs. I mean, it's open. That open that for, is absolutely the um, wild card of this draft. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And somebody's going to make that move, I think. Especially with uh, it could be Cleveland. If Cleveland is is as hot to trot about Johnny Manziel as we're hearing. I mean, they traded up a spot for Trent Richardson. I understand that those were different times, but I mean, why not? If you if you're that committed, I mean, are you willing to move up two spots to get your guy? So I mean, you could definitely see that. So I think that Oakland's in play to trade for that pick. Uh, Minnesota's absolutely in play because you can make the case that uh, they need a quarterback as bad as anyone. I haven't been impressed with Ponder. He can't stay healthy. When he's healthy, he sucks. So. No, no, there's only silence because I needed to go ahead and uh, and just rest for a second because I like oh, to listen okay. to hear myself talk, especially on the podcast. It's like a power trip. <laughs> so were you the one listening to us? You no, 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 no. In the background? no, I'm absolutely, <laughs> come on, I'm not an amateur. <laughs> I think I am. Uh, but the important thing, the thing we're getting away from right now is the fact that all of this benefits us because you think four, we're talking about, what, four quarterbacks going in, in that space, yeah. and we have the number 19 pick, so now you've just knocked four picks out of the mix. You can, we can expect Khalil Mack, Clowney, and uh, Barr to probably be off the board uh, by the time we pick, so that's another three. So that's seven picks right there. That, that are going to be taken up with guys that, let's be honest, we wouldn't have that much interest in taking anyway, with the exception of maybe Clowney, just because it would be hard to turn them down. But, I mean, somebody brought up, we were talking about uh, defensive ends. We're pretty much constipated with the number of defensive ends we have. We, you know, there's no vacancy when it comes to that position for us, which is amazing because it, it was not that case for the longest time. So you're talking about seven picks right there. We can safely assume that uh, Matthews and Robinson are going to go, and there's nine picks. So, I mean, you're, talking, I mean that's ha- you're almost halfway there with guys that, I mean, we would have an, an interest in Matthews or Robinson, I'm sure, but it's with the zone blocking scheme we have going, I mean, those guys aren't make or break prospects for us. It's not like if we don't get them, we're going to feel the pain. So, oh, and Watkins, too. So there, there's 10. Evans, 11. I don't think Evans makes it past Baltimore. I think that's that's the uh, final destination for that guy. Exciting, all intriguing. I think with pro- think that just are we okay? Wait a minute. We need to consider something else. Maybe we're talking about the draft a little too early because, like you said, the free agency comes first, and then there's a combine and all that stuff. And by that time, 
we will have filled up a few of those holes. And maybe we don't really have as many holes as we think we do, like at the defensive tackle position, for instance. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but A.J. Francis is still under contract, correct? I'd have to look at that. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look. I don't know off the top of my head. I think he is. I think now that you're saying it, I think that's right. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. And did you uh, just say we're looking at the draft too early, Lewis? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> well, what do you mean? What do you, well, you got because what are we thinking about? We're talking about taking a safety, a tackle, a, a wide receiver, a tight end, a guard. There's too many positions to think about right now. There you are can throw in more if you want. I mean, we can talk about running backs exactly. It, it, can, it never ends. It's like it's a it's a it's a humongous giant board of players, and it's like where do you even stop? It, it doesn't stop. You got to wait until like where are we going to. Are we going to sign a tackle? It's like, okay, we got a tackle. We can take off a spot in the draft. So now we can look at these guys. Or are we going to take a guard? Okay, we can take off these guys because we already filled that hole. You have It's better than just, like, spitballing. Oh, well, we'll take this guy. Oh, well, let's take this guy, you know? It's like, well, I think it, you're looking at it in too, in too linear a fashion here. I mean, the important thing is that we have options. I mean, the thing, the thing is you're going to have an option, so you're going to ident- we're identifying the holes we have now. Clemens is a potential one. Defensive tackle could be one because, in theory, it's going to be tough to keep Starks and Sully. Those guys are both going to be very expensive. So right now you can look at defensive tackle as a potential hole. Offensive tackle we know is a hole, so you can put that in there. Running back is something where we could probably address on day two or day three. Likely a hole, unless we go ahead and address it for, uh, in free agency. But right now, potential. Tight end, same. Unless Blazer comes in and he feels good about Deion Sims and he feels good about Michael Agnew uh, and, and he likes that sort of Swiss Army knife appeal of uh, Charles Clay. Uh, so the important thing is we're looking at the hold, and while you're mentioning all these guys, we know offensive tack, we know the offensive line is a need. I don't think we're going to use a, take a guard in the first round, so we can point to offensive tackle there. You can bring the safety in. Uh, a tight end, right now a luxury pick, but a nice one. So really you're only talking about three or four actual positions. So if you're talking about best player available that really fits within that framework, it's not as broad as you're making it sound, in my opinion. And I think it's something where I now that we're talking about, I mean, the Super Bowl is, what, three days away? I don't really have a problem with talking about this right now because once – uh, the combine hits in what three weeks or so. I mean, it's going to be draft mania. So, and then you're going to see it because then you're going to be you're going to have all these guys spilling over in terms of oh, how is this stock doing? You'll see the potential for how Sammy Watkins is he fast enough? Did Marquise Lee run faster than Sammy Watkins? Which of them is going to go first? And that's all well and good, but the thing is, that still works out for us because those guys are probably going to go ahead before we pick. But, I mean, I think that I'm into the idea of identifying these holes. And, yeah, we can sit here and daydream and talk about, well, it would be nice if we could get Zach Martin or maybe Taylor Lalon falls or how do we feel about Calvin, Calvin Pryor. The idea is we're probably going to get one of those guys, and that's awesome. And you're talking about Dennis Hickey coming in, bringing in John Benton, putting him in there at the offensive line. That's a great addition. So you, you'd like to think that, well, already you're going to have the, the offensive line and potential running game as looking more like a well-oiled machine. So the idea is that regardless of where we go, we're improving, and you feel good about the decisions your general manager is making, and you feel good about the, the cards that you're probably going to be dealt on draft night. So I'm excited about that. I don't know about yeah, you, but I'm excited. Just, uh, just to cut in, A.J. Francis is under contract for another year. 
he's $495,000 on the cap. Fascinating. There you go. I like it. Interesting. Why do you bring up A.J. Francis? Do you feel good about him? Well, we if well if New England liked him enough to poach him off the practice squad, you would have to think there's some talent somewhere. Very rarely does Bill Belichick take someone without saying, well, he can't play. And the T-Bow thing was uh, uh, was a Josh McDaniels thing, I'm sure. So I was just about to throw that. I was like, hmm, Tim Tebow. And Tim so Tebow was there for for what a weekend. He like coordinated one of Belichick's pool par- pool parties, and then he then he cut town. So, you know, whatever. Uh, by the way, how dare you bring up how dare you bring up Tim Tebow during one of our our radio shows? He's going to be on the Today Show tomorrow. Introduce that poison. Of course he is. What's he talking I got about? I'm a Tebow fan. I think I, am, I think he's a I am a Tebow fan. I am a fan of Tebow. I hope he gets a team somewhere. I don't know if he'll be a quarterback or not, but I hope he gets to play. Anyway, <laughs> you sound like a robot. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to get my point across. Anyway, the point is that Belichick doesn't usually take players unless he sees potential in them. That's where AJ Francis comes in. If Francis was good enough that Belichick said, I'm going to take this guy, then I'm looking at him as a plug-in for the other defensive tackle spot. Like, maybe we don't even have to have Starks. Maybe Francis can do the job. That's the thing. How many of our players are we assuming cannot do the job? Because we're looking at Brenner, who I like. I liked him at the guard position. He just needs a little more time to work on it. I like, I still think Lamar Miller can do the job. He just needs to work on it. There's, there's so many players we have in-house now that it, we think we have holes, and really we don't. You don't think we have holes at offensive tackle? At offensive tackle, yes. But the guard, not so much, because I think Brenner can take w- one of those two spots. Well, we haven't really talked about guard much. I don't think that that's going to come in in the first round. I do agree. I like A.J. Francis, although – I'm assuming that if we're if we're looking to part ways with Starks, I think Odrick's probably going to get the look. Yeah. I, I would I think be surprised Starks, if he didn't. I think Starks plays for um, – or Odrick plays for Starks, but if you're getting rid of Soli, you want Starks. You know an ideal place for Starks, too? It would probably be San Francisco as they're looking to kind of upgrade that five-technique position. I keep thinking about them. That that just seems like a, a Randy Starks type destination for him because when and when he played that role for us, I mean he dominated. So, kind of interesting. Some uh, something to to consider as we move along here. But uh, yeah, I exactly. like AJ Francis too. Exactly. And then you look at the wide receiver spot. We're thinking about making a wide receiver move. Well, we don't really need to do that. That's a luxury still, pick. Technically, we yeah, don't need Yeah, that's a very big luxury pick because we still have Wallace. We have Hartline. Gibson's going to be back. We have Matthews coming back. We have Bins coming back probably. And he's actually a pretty big target as as far as our receivers go. He's like the biggest one at 6'3", right? For who? Bins. Armin yeah, Benz is Benz is definitely the biggest. But here's the difference. Here's the deal. It's a luxury pick, but what's the difference between a rookie receiver and the guys you're mentioning right now? Rookie receivers can play for a lot less money. And yep. when if you're if you're looking to go ahead and maybe cut on uh, cut bait next year with some some of these guys, suppose something comes up and they get a good deal for Wallace, or they decide they don't don't want to go ahead and pay any more of that monster steal that he has. 
I mean, those, those some of those rookie contracts look pretty good. Even Brian Hartline's playing for considerable money right now. So, I mean, it, it is a luxury pick, but anytime you can get younger and less expensive, I don't mean to sound like uh, like uh, your typical, typical corporate guy, but that's not a bad way to go. And for a while there, we had that going on the offensive line. We weren't, really weren't paying too much outside of Jake Long. I think Jake Long is making more than, than any of those guys combined and then some. So any, if you can get uh, if you can get comparable talent on a rookie deal, say you take a like a Dante Moncrief in the third round, and that guy turns into a really good player, you're paying him peanuts compared to what Brian Hartline or Michael Wallace is making, even what Brandon Gibson's making. And we I don't think we really paid Brandon Gibson that much money. So I mean, it's definitely a luxury pick, but it's not outside the realm of possibility, especially if you're looking toward the future. And, I mean, that would have to be the perfect opportunity presenting itself. And I don't think Marquise Lee is going to fall. Marquise Lee would be a pretty nice addition. I mean, that's enjoyable to think about because now you're adding weapons to Ryan Tannehill, inexpensive weapons. Thank you, new salary cap. And thank you, new CBA. I don't know. I just think that we need to look at what the talent we have in-house. Cause is Ben going to demand a lot of money? He's still under contract anyway. Is Matthew's going to demand a lot of money? He's not. They haven't made huge impacts simply because of their positions on the depth chart. They can't. Well, get I, out I, I would disagree. Big I thought Matthews was a quality player for us last year, and I mean, well, it's was really a quality fair to talk player. about Ben's like that because Ben's was hurt. Well, before Ben's got hurt, who was going to be the front runner to be the number four? It wasn't Matthews. Well, and I'm not saying Matthews who, who can't ended play. up being who ended up really producing at that spot, though. I mean, not only – I mean, you would make the – you could make the case this year that at times that – I mean, Matthews was a legit three, in my opinion. I thought that guy – I mean, he really does everything you need to. I mean, he gets downfield. He works the middle like a champ. I mean, he's not afraid to take the big hit. So, I mean, I understand that there is some inconsistency, and I know some people are still mad at him for some of the drops he had late in the season. But I thought Matthews was a pretty reliable plug in there. I like well, I never said he couldn't play. I never oh, said you're talking about it. producing as the fourth guy in the depth charts, though, and I'm saying that I feel like you might be kind of marginalizing uh, what he was able to do this year. So I'm not marginalizing. I'm saying his position on the depth chart. All right, all right, all right. I get it, I get it. The point, the point, the so money really the demand. point in all of this is that we're sitting here and you can you can sit there and say, well, we're we're looking at this the wrong way. Uh, if you look at our track record, we usually get it right. We're usually identifying the right guys here. We talked a lot about Jamar Taylor last year, and that worked out. I think we watched more Jamar Taylor tape than any other cornerback in there. So I understand that it might sound like we're sitting here and just kind of screwing off and daydreaming about these guys. But when push comes to the shelf, you'll find that usually we get it right. And with free agents, too. Except for, like, an LRB, who, I mean, nobody saw that guy coming. But, I mean, I get what you're saying here. And I know that I feel that... uh, we're all look, we are looking at these guys in-house, too. We're not neglecting the facts. But, I mean, that's a big wild card. What do you think is going to happen with Dallas Thomas? I mean, it's going to depend on what Laser and Benton see. I'd like to, I mean, if, if uh, Dallas Thomas could get it going, that would be fantastic. Because then, I mean, now you just plug the right guard spot at worst. And then you don't have to worry about that. Then you don't have to if spend that, money on it. If you ask me, the only thing that kept Dallas Thomas off the line was that he's trying to be a tackle when he's a guard. That's Jim Turner. Yeah, 
Norm, you're not going to hear any disagreement from me there. And, I mean, and you're preaching to the choir in terms, especially with Duke. I mean, that was really frustrating last year. Why were we using him as a tackle when he was moved inside at Tennessee and played much better there? Definitely. I totally agree with that. So, I mean, that's nice. I mean, ideally, you'd like to see – I mean, you feel good. I think if Benton can come in and maybe Thomas loses a little bit of weight, they go ahead and focus on maybe sitting him out, getting a little bit more mobility going on in there, kind of lightening the load. That would be nice. And I'm all for it because I don't like spending money or wasting draft picks if I don't have to. Oh, man. Oh, Chris left. Yeah, what happened to everybody? I don't know. Kevin is, uh, I don't know what Kevin's doing. But in the meantime, uh, we're, we're technically we're coming up on uh, over 90 minutes. We way uh, <laughs> overplayed the entire show. But, I mean, it was interesting. We were able to get some debate going and talk about what what's really going to be important over the next uh, month and a half, which is great. I mean, that's something that we're going to have to take a look at. And, I mean, you don't know. I mean, maybe Hickey is a big player in free agency. He goes in there and makes some surprises. He brings in a guard or uh, maybe even works a trade or two. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see. And personally, I'm excited to, to watch the whole process unfold. So uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, call it because we've got just under 25 minutes left on the – on the buzzer thing that they have going with the studio. So uh, anything else you guys want to kind of throw out there? You want to throw your Super Bowl picks? Yeah, I want to I talk a, a little bit just at the end here of Super Bowl because it is coming up, and it is obviously the biggest football day in the world. Um, I think that there's a lot of this – I think that we're seeing a lot of – people trying to find flaws in Peyton Manning. They're trying to find flaws in Richard Sherman right now. And they're trying to tell us why those teams won't win, not because the other team is going to beat them, but because that guy can't perform. And you see that it's Richard Sherman talks too much, but Peyton Manning's going to tear him apart. You see Peyton Manning can't throw the ball because he throws a duck that flutters in the wind. And, Somehow that duck found the end zone 55 times this year. So I'm going to go with the duck is okay to throw. Um, I think that in the end, this is just simply going to come down to how well the – it's going to sound stupid. How well do the two teams match up? And obviously that's what every game comes down to. But – I don't think that the Seahawks are going to go out there with any trying to throw any exotic schemes at Peyton Manning, and they're not going to be doing the Belichick, we're going to show you this defense, we're going to shift into this defense, and then we're really playing this defense. They're just going to line up and go, we're coming after you, this is what we're showing you, this is what we're going to do, let's do it. And Peyton's going to sit there and try to outplay the top defense in the league. And the fact that we have the number one scoring offense, the number one scoring defense, the number one offense in yards, the number one defense, you have an incredible matchup here that a lot of people are ignoring simply because we want to talk either about Richard Sherman running his mouth or Peyton Manning can't win the big game. And I just, I'm really excited about the Super Bowl because I think it's going to be an absolutely classic game. 
I think that we are getting caught up in the weather. And like I said in a post earlier this week, I absolutely hope it's a, a blizzard on Sunday. And obviously the weather forecast isn't showing that it's going to be a blizzard. But I want it to be a blizzard simply because I want to sit there going, yeah, but Miami can't have a Super Bowl because we might have rain. You can throw it into a blizzard, but we can't have a Super Bowl because it might rain. So that, that's my personal side of it. But I, do, I think that in the end, this is going to be a really, really good game, and I'm really excited about it. It's the first time or the second time in 20 years or something that we have the two number one seeds facing off. So this should be, this should be a great game. Um, I'm leaning towards Denver. I, I, part of that is I want Denver to win this. Um, I, I like Denver. I want Peyton to win a second ring simply because I'm so sick of hearing how he's not great because he's only won one ring. I mean, it's, it's the Dan Marino argument plus, a, plus one ring. It's like, um, okay, I thought a Super Bowl championship is what you need to be great. And in Peyton's case, it's not enough. So I just want him to win it so that way people will shut up. Um, that, that's my, my side of it. Uh, I'll turn it over to you guys. Let you guys talk about the Super Bowl, anything you want to talk about with it. Um, I don't have anything that really jumps out. I don't really know who I want to win. I'm not a big fan of either team. I guess I'd probably pull a little bit more for Seattle. I think that's a great sports city. It'd be nice to see them win something like that. Uh, I don't think Peyton's going to be too great. I don't know what the what is the weather supposed to be like for Sunday. I know it's supposed to be what, like uh, low thirties. Yeah, it's low thirties. I think the only thing that is in the forecast really is it could be windy. But okay. it's a giant stadium. It's always windy. Right. I mean, it's just not an ideal place to be this time of year. Which I mean, we said when they scheduled the Super Bowl, but whatever. Um, I'm excited for the game. I, I'm not going to be incredibly disappointed if Denver wins, although I'm not a fan of John Elway. I'm really not a fan of Peyton Manning. Uh, but, I mean, really two good teams, and I, I'm just hoping for a good game. I felt like last year the first half was terrible, and then after that entire blackout, it got a lot better. Uh, hopefully they don't need to go to the to the um, the blackout this year to make things better. And I think that ultimately, I think Seattle wins the game. I think that Seattle's defense is too physical for uh, – really too physical for Denver. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to play a, a Patriots-type thing where they really try to manhandle Denver's receivers. I mean, that's what Seattle does every every game. But that cover three that they put out there, I think they're going to be real physical. They're going to challenge Peyton Manning. I think they're going to try to put it on them and put on Denver's receivers. And I think it's going to end up winning because this doesn't strike me as – a an environment Manning's going to be incredibly comfortable in. So, I mean, we'll see, though. I mean, you, you can't bet against Peyton Manning, but that's kind of what I'm expecting to see. I think that's, right. I mean, that's fair, absolutely fair. Peyton is Peyton. It's like betting against Brady. You never do it unless he's playing the Giants in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I had Hopefully. to throw it in there. No, uh, that's fine. <laughs> How about you, Lewis? Who do you got this Sunday? It's tough because, you know, it, it, it's like seeing – it's like this is a matchup between the irresistible force and the immovable object. It really is. It's like I agree. Peyton couldn't get stopped by anybody, and Seattle can stop anybody. So I'm looking at it. I'm thinking 
I'm leaning towards Denver because, like you said, you you shouldn't root against Peyton. You shouldn't uh, bet against Peyton because he's Peyton. And Richard Sherman cannot be everywhere on the field at the same time. It's not like the entire secondary is Richard Sherman level. So if Sherman's covering Thomas, then he's going to have – then Peyton's going to have Welker and Decker and the other Thomas, Julius Thomas, to throw to. And he's going to have Noshan Moreno. And Sherman cannot be everywhere. And if they're only going to rush four guys – then Peyton will have a little bit of time to throw. I don't think Denver's O-line is so horrible that they're going to let four guys dominate the game the whole time. I think one of the important things about Seattle is they have they have very good coverage linebackers, so I think they're going to be able to put a dent in Wes Walker. Um, so it's like, usually I'm an offense guy. I, there was a time where I, I used to think, like, yeah, I'd love to be an offensive coordinator, you know, however ridiculous that thought was. But I've always been an offense guy. But when it comes to a, a great offense and a great defense, I'm always going to take the great defense. I think that w- when you really get down to it, I think the defense, even in this day and age where it's kind of a hands-off league at times, uh, I just think that Seattle's got the goods. I think that, too, Denver's uh, – Denver got a lot of injuries in the front seven. Their secondary isn't really much to write, write home about. I think that Seattle will have some success moving the pocket if they even bother. I think that they're going to get out there and they're just going to try to they're going to challenge Denver immediately to, to stop Marshawn Lynch. And as that becomes a task for Denver, then they're going to have to worry about Wilson moving the pocket and maybe they can get Harden involved too. I mean, either way, it's going to be. A, I think it's going to be a really good game. And. Uh, I don't know. Denver does I, I guess have I want one, Seattle to win, but Denver does oh. have one really big guy in the uh, in the defensive tackle position, so that would make it a little tougher for Beast Mode, as he's being called now, to run up the middle. Yeah, I don't remember. I think, his Max, name, I think Max Unger is uh, pretty good at the center center position, though. I mean, it's I'm not a huge fan of. I think Seattle's offensive line is presentable. I think they're good. I think Max Unger is really good. Obviously, he's a pro bowler. Uh, I think Russell Okun, when he's healthy, is really good. And I think that James Carpenter plays one of the, the guard spots. Uh, I don't know. It's um, If Derek Wolf was in there, then I think uh, I, th- I think Seattle would have their work cut out for him. But I think with Wolf out, because I think he's out due to seizures, which is really sad, and I hope he makes a recovery from that. Uh and I think that I'm not sure if Trevathan's still banged up. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tougher to uh, move against some of these guys. So I mean we'll see, but I don't know. I, I if I have Marshawn Lynch, I mean you got to put him out there. You gotta you gotta challenge Denver to stop the run. I mean you you dance with the one who who brung you as as they say. So if there's a, if uh, there's anything else you guys want to mention, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, it's been great. We had Kevin on tonight. We had our good friend Lewis. Always a pleasure to have him on the show and uh, kind of get a back and forth banter going. I always enjoy that. Um, I think that we're going to be off until probably early next week. And then we'll be back with Finsider TV Wednesday, Finsider Radio on Thursday, which uh, it's technically it's still its new night. So from everyone. From the Finsider, Kevin, myself, Chris, our, our guest, Lewis, and our producer, as always, Jane. 
Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Good night. Night, everybody. Good night. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's the two megastars summer mashup. The awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for $0 so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, listen to podcasts. Check it out.